My name is Vida Sister Prince, and today is May 6, 1992, and I'm interviewing Joseph Spinell uh, for the Oral History Project of the Missouri Historical Society concerning World War II. Um, Mr. Pinnell was uh, in the service uh, in the Navy, uh, was attending college before he went in, and um, we're going to talk about his a little bit, a bit about his background and his time in the service and, and afterwards. Mr. Cannell, um, were you born in St. Louis? Yes, I was born in St. Louis. Right, and where did you go to high school? In Sumner. Sumner and, and grade school? Uh, I went to a number of grade schools because uh, after the tornado, I finished, uh, I went to a high school from DePaul, mm -hmm. high school, which is over on Dayton and Garrison, I guess. But you went, oh, you went to Sumner, but then you graduated from Sumner? I graduated from Sumner, okay. yes, high school. Okay. Um, where did you live at that time? I was living... When I graduated from Sumner, I was living in 4466 Enright. Yeah. And who lived there? Oh, my brothers and sisters and parents. Where, where did you fit into your family? Well, I was the youngest. Oh, you were the youngest? I was the youngest of seven. Of seven. Mm -hmm. um, my older brother, oldest brother and oldest sister were, were not. Were not at home at the time they were living. They had met, married and gone out on their own. What did you do right after um, high, uh, high school, after you graduated? Well, after high school, well, right after graduated that fall, I had been working at the drugstore on the corner of Sarah and West Bell until I graduated and after I graduated of course I went to school that fall. Mm -hmm. And uh, Is that when you went to Lincoln? That's when I went to Lincoln, yes. Okay. The fall of thirty six. Fall of thirty six. Tell me about Saint Louis for you at that time. Well I lived here all up until that time. Of course as I said I was mm -hmm. born here. Um, we had a number of places, yeah. down on Bernard, in fact I was born on that one on Bernard, we went from there to Shanning Avenue, and then uh, well, we lived in two places on Shanning, and from Shanning we went to Windsor, and we moved to Cook Avenue, 3700. We lived in two places on Cook, both of them in the 3700 block. We moved from Cook to Enright, the 4400 West Belt, from there, and then the 4400 Enright, which we stayed there for a number of years. <coughs> I guess until most of us had gone. My brother next to me had gone to Chicago, so he was living there. He was there for about 42 years, and he decided to come back home. 
about three or four years ago, and as well. What was it like? What did you do as a young person? Did you did you work? Did you? Oh yeah, I worked most of my life. I sold papers, magazines, worked at the drugstore, grocery stores. Most of my time. first job in industry, I used to uh, I railroaded. I was on the railroad. Of course, that was uh, after I dropped out of school. You mean college? Yes. Uh, I had to get a miners' release signed so that I could have permission of my parents to work in the railroad. Mm -hmm. So I was about, I guess, about 19, and 37. I was about 19 when I started on the railroad. What did you do on the railroad? Uh, waiter. Dine, worked for the dining car department. You did? Mm -hmm. That was a good job. Well, in those days, it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good job. Yeah. I sold sandwiches and coffee and the coaches and time for a table in the dining room. And, uh, well, it gave me a chance to see part of the country. I'd gone to the first time I'd ever been really away from home. Uh, I'd see Arkansas, Texas, Colorado, Kansas. It was interesting. Uh, I guess the camaraderie of the fellows you worked with was pretty close. Um, did it did it uh, make you you always had you always wanted to go to college? Yes. Had your brothers and sisters gone? Uh, most of them. My two older sisters. My two older sisters now that are living were teachers. My brother taught, my father taught, my mother taught, and I swore I never did want to teach, but the first job I had when I got out of college was teaching it was in the veterans program, but I wasn't dealing with, with children, I was te teaching veterans mm -hmm. in the veterans training program. Where did your father teach? <clears throat> my father was a, a teacher and principal down in Farmington, Minnesota, Missouri. In fact, my dad finished Lincoln at the turn of the century. My sisters went to Lincoln, my brother went to Lincoln, my daughter went to Lincoln, and I went to Lincoln. Mm -hmm. I will, because we're really heading towards, I could interview you on your entire life, <laughs> um, but uh, I guess we better get to the time frame that we came for. Um, you were, you were at, uh, you graduated, <coughs> you were at, uh, you went back to school in 1938, back to Lincoln. You started there in mm -hmm. the fall semester of 38, and then you stopped and went to work, and then you went back in 38, and um, let's, let's start from there. Okay. What, 
You went back to school, and and how long were you there? It was uh, in the fall of '38. I was there until January '39. Okay. <coughs> and then what did you do? I came home, and uh, I got. That's when I started uh, uh, when I worked for G.S. Morris and Sons. They had, they had a, what do you call it, pinball games and jukeboxes and stuff like that. I worked for them briefly. And there's a young man named Johnny. We had taken a pinball game into this restaurant. It's on the corner of Grand and North Market. By the time he got back to the shop or the office, somebody had called him. And I think it was the owner of the shop at Grand and North Market. And I asked him, weren't there enough white people out of work? that he could give a job to, and he didn't have to give a job to a nigga. So I lost that job and I tried to write insurance, but I wasn't making enough money to really do anything, you know, to maintain myself. And <clears throat> I guess that's when I started working in meat arts. My brother had worked out there. had some friends working out there. On the corner of so I stayed at Meat Arts until 1941. That's when I went to Cincinnati. I think my memory is correct on that. Um, Mr. Gamal, <coughs> tell me about segregation in St. Louis while you were growing up. Well, they didn't have the problems in school when I was growing up that they have now. Teachers could discipline kids, principals could discipline kids, and teachers are more interested, more than interested in just teaching you. But they also try to teach you how to live, how to get along, teach you worthwhile things in life. Things that really young people need to know in order to grow up and try to be successful in this day and time, which so many of them don't. Uh, during those days, <coughs> if the teacher corrected the child, the parent would go to the school ready to jump on the kid and create chaos and confusion. They went to see about what was wrong and tried to bring the, the, the youngster around to the right way of doing things. Uh, they were not over, overly protective. Parents cared, teachers cared, everybody seemed to care. Even your neighbors could help uh, help you grow up. Uh, the neighborhoods are not like they were used to be. We could uh, leave our doors open go anywhere 
nobody come in and bother you or anything. So it was just a different day and time. But I appreciate it because it's really how people should be able to live rather than bars all up at your doors and your windows and stuff like this. Yeah, I noticed when I came in that you had a bar on your door yeah. and unlocked it. Well, that's really for my wife's benefit, personally, myself. I, uh, you see, those things are just as dangerous to the inhabitant of a building. Because if something happens and you can't get through all those locks at one time, you're in a world of trouble. And yet this neighborhood looks like a very nice one. It is. Well, it's, it's very pretty. And it's one thing I have to say about our neighbors here. We look out for each other. Yeah, and it's a lovely home. We look out for each other. And it's, uh, it's really a pleasure to have neighbors like that. But you're but they're leaving home, they tell us, we tell them if we're going anywhere, they bring, take in the papers and they, you know, anything that has to be done, and then they keep their eyes out. But you're still apprehensive? I'm not, really. I, uh, I wasn't brought up to be that way. <laughs> so you look at your wife, is it? Well, yeah. But back, back to when you were young, um, were you aware that there, do we have a time limit? No, I told my sister I'd take her, so I'm gonna call her and tell her I'm gonna run late. What, <coughs> what time do you wanna be finished? No, it's, it's worry about it. Okay. Thanks. Um, uh, what was it, what was it like to be a child then? What, where could you go and where couldn't you go and Oh, well, we couldn't go to the movies on Grand Avenue. You could or couldn't? We could not. And I guess I was grown when that uh, came about. Uh, other than that, well, most of the restaurants and everything were discriminatory in their policies, uh, the hotels. How did it affect your life as a youngster? Well, I didn't think about it too much, I don't guess. Um, I, I knew what was happening, but it didn't disturb me because most of my friends <laughs> had been my friends through the years anyway, you know. I, uh, I particularly care about going anywhere where I'm not wanted <coughs> anyway because there are so many unpleasant things that can happen to you. So I didn't really try to force myself on anybody. I never did. And, um, but I guess my mother and dad were living examples of how to live. The, uh, <coughs> They never talked a lot about the color, but they taught me to walk with my head up and with pride and dignity. And I think that's one of the best things anybody can teach their children. How did they teach that to you? By example and by talking to us. 
ובתוך שישר אין עושר ישנם ומהם על רספקט פרטיקול ואורל. Not because they were a certain color, because they felt that all the people deserved respect. so great about being a Gunnell. I said, your grandfather, your grandmother, your uncles, your aunts, your father, they never had to hold their head down because somebody had disgraced the name of Gunnell. They were taught to care of themselves as decent people. You don't have to hang your head in shame or cover your face because I've disgraced the name. That's the only thing about it. And if you're just taught to live and respect everybody as a human being and a person, It's not too bad. Uh, well, I have a resonant voice. <laughs> I know, but your voice is better than our tape recorders. <coughs> <laughs> um, Mr. Gunnell, um, why did you go to Cincinnati? I went to Cincinnati because at that time, Lincoln was the only school I could go to, and I had gotten married and there were no provisions made for married couples in the school. And um, it was the only, the only school you could go to because I of segregation. I think it was the only But it wasn't feasible to go to Lincoln under the circumstances at that time. I moved to Cincinnati. Being married? Yes. To uh, try to uh, work and go to school, either do one a day and one at night or vice versa. However, <coughs> uh, when I went to Cincinnati in 41, I still had to find a job, and oh, within a, a few weeks, 
I did get a job at Red Aeronautical Corporation in the foundry. And however, before we were working odd hours, something like mm -hmm. five o'clock in the evening to three, two or three o'clock in the morning or something like that. And, uh, <clears throat> but um, after, <clears throat> uh, before I could arrange to get into school, of course, a war broke out. And we were working sometimes two shifts. So uh, you were not able to yeah. go to school. So, and, you, and then, of course, we rotated shifts, so you didn't know what shift you were going to be on. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, <clears throat> I wasn't able to go to school. So I stayed out there until I got called into service. And I had tried to get in the Merchant Marine either. Well, I'd say about a year or two before that, before I was called into military service. But uh, a, somehow it didn't work out. There were two or three of us that decided to try to go in the Merchant Marine. So when that fell through, we just worked on up to time we got through the service. Mm -hmm. All right, so you came back to St. Louis? I came back to St. Louis when the service from here, yes. And how, I didn't tell me that you, you, you told me that you were able to choose where you want, what you wanted to do to go in the Navy? And they asked me what a, at the uh, Selective Service, uh, which branch of service I wanted to go into, and I told the Navy. Mm -hmm. So I got it. So tell me what happened. Well, I went to, once I was sworn in, they went to boot camp at Great Lakes. And after I finished boot camp at Great Lakes, after, I guess, a few weeks, that he called it OGU, outgoing unit which you, you said where I waited to be transferred to your next station. I went down to Hampton, Virginia, Hampton Institute for training was, was the Yeoman School. Was the Navy segregated at that time? At that All time, yes. Okay. Yes. So were you with just... But we did have... We did have some black officers at that time, however. In the Navy? From, yeah. But were you with just black young yeah, men? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the black company was all black, you know. Mm -hmm. And how did you, how did you feel about going in the service and fighting for freedom when you well, didn't have it at home? I, um, I just accepted it. I've been accepted in all those years anyway, you know, whatever. But this is still my country. This is still my country. There's certain things I don't like about it. I, I still don't think that <coughs> anybody will be judged by the color of their skin, by their religion that they believe in, or anything like that. After all, that's their own personal 
George, and they have a right to it. What about the other boys you were with, the other men? Well, some of them were bitter. I met some very bitter young men. The bitterness doesn't, doesn't help. I think one of the uh, I have found that once you, if you project a friendly attitude, most people will respond positively to it, I believe. Uh, in order to have a friend, you have to be a friend. And you can't go around hating everybody every hour of the day expecting them to be civil to you. Mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Goodnell, when you went to Cincinnati, uh, or when you went to Great Lakes, wasn't it, was, did you find a lot of differences in what you could do and what you couldn't do? Uh, not necessarily. Things were not more open in Cincinnati? No, not, not that. And it wasn't that very different to me. In fact, I don't care where you go in this country, you're going to face it somewhere. I thought perhaps... Uh, you're going to meet it no matter where you go in this country. And if you go in other countries and Americans are there, you're going to meet it there. <clears throat> Was it any different for the northern boys? That, were their attitudes any different from... Not necessarily. Some of them, you know, it's, you know, it's an individual thing. You can't uh, categorize people on the locality they come from. Uh, it just, it just isn't there like that. A lot of people like to think that uh, you go north and you find friendliness. Or you go north, you find a coveted, uh, sort of a covert. Uh, discriminatory patterns. In the South, in those days, you knew where you stood. You knew good and well that uh, even people that might like you wouldn't profess such a profess like, like profess liking you in front of a lot of their friends for fear of the reaction of the white people. You see, what a lot of people don't realize is discrimination keeps you from being free as well as me. The real intense dislike for, for other people or people who are different by anybody will keep you from doing the things you might like to do. You might want to be friendly with black people, but because of the fear of the reaction of your contemporaries and your race, color, or group, you dare not be friendly with another person that you may want to that you may really genuinely like. 
but there's a fear, and I don't know what the fear is. I don't, I don't know what to base it, base it on. What is there a fear of? What, I don't know. What is I, I think fear? In, in, in the job market, uh, minorities may be a threat to the Caucasians. Um, I think that's one thing is that, uh, and I don't think people really believe the myths, all of the myths that are that are well just perpetuated, but it gives them a basis for. For justifying their dislike. And in your place, isn't there, is there, what does the fear do to you? The fear of rejection or the fear of not getting the difficulty of attaining certain. I try not to be that sensitive about real value. Of course, like I say, I've been I've been through a lot of experiences in my lifetime, and uh, I've had white people that I've been very friendly with, very friendly. I've got the fellows I used to work with. I call call now every now and then to say hi. How are you doing? And we can proceed. Trying to go out, you gotta have a drink or a sandwich or something. Uh, I don't dwell on this color thing really. Uh, of course, I'm not trying. I'm not saying I ignore it. I can't. It's there. But I'm not gonna let it eat at me so that I can't have some peace of mind in my lifetime. But I don't plan to. What do you feel is the greatest or the most important factor in, in the ability to cope with it like you have? Well, since I knew it's there, I just try not to let it bother me. If it's there and somebody makes, makes it plain that uh, <clears throat> there's, I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to eat sleep, live with any of these people. Mm -hmm. If I walk down the street and say good morning, they say good morning, fine. And if they don't say anything, fine. You know. So I'm not gonna let it worry me that much. Maybe coming from the home that you came from was a big factor. I guess so. In fact we had so many friends. There were seven of us and all of us had our little had our own the roots that we ran with. There. Did you live in a girl growing up? No. I lived in, like I say, well, after we left Shannon, I lived between, I lived between Spring and oh. Taylor mm -hmm. and Enright and 
cook. Um, all right. So you were at Hampton Institute. Hampton. Okay. And that was service school for the Navy. That was Yeoman School. Okay. That was where I took my, took my training for for Yeoman. Okay. Because Hampton is a black. It was a black institution. Black institution. Yes. <laughs> Um, all right, and then how do you view your uh, how do you view your service? Service, well, I say it was typically American. <laughs> What's that mean? What's that mean? Well, you had some some people who were were prejudiced, and some who were fairly friendly. Uh, but uh, as I said, most of us, well, when uh, even after we got to Guam, uh, we were an all-black unit on the island there, and uh, the white boys and the uh, black boys were, were, were separated. Uh, one I, uh, incident I do remember is after Japan surrendered, we were coming home. We were coming home on the troop train. In fact, we got off the ship in California. So I think it was around San Diego or San Pedro Harbor. We got right off the ship and got right on, on the train. And we tracked it right by the on the dock where the ship was, where the ship had docked. And uh, <coughs> the um, we got into Texas somewhere and the chief petty officer came up and said that we couldn't ride together. Mm -hmm. The man told us that we just came back we just came back from overseas where we've been eating together, sleeping together, fighting together, and everything else, you know. Wasn't no segregation in the trenches <laughs> and on the battlefield. So uh, uh, that caused a little, it caused some anger among the fellas. They said, you know, they've been fighting together and working together on various projects over there. Didn't see why they couldn't ride together and talk. So that was one of the things where you just came out of the situation. Right? Same thing you was talking about, about the freedom and everything, and fighting for it overseas, and coming back to do it over here to the same old patterns. But, you know, the uh, the crux of the matter is the hate and the prejudice that exists, this superior attitude is taught. And you can't teach it for hundreds of years and eradicate it overnight. You got to start teaching 
their youngsters to love and respect other people regardless of their skin color, their religion, their sex, creed, whatever. Do you think it'll ever happen, Mr. Gunnell? Hmm? Do you think it'll ever happen? I don't know if you have any more of these Californians that you're going to have to better, somebody better learn to do it. Mr. Gunnell and I are speaking after the, uh, uh, the aftermath of uh, what happened to Mr. Rodney King in California. And, uh, he was beaten by four policemen and the policemen were allowed to be acquitted. Um, you know? Week and well, you see, it wasn't just that. This is a buildup of the resentment, of the treatment, of the segregation, the discrimination, the, the insensitivity to the plight of people who are also citizens who have given some of them relatives have given their lives to this country the same as anybody else. Their blood, sweat, and tears are soaked into the earth the same as anybody else's. And they're entitled to a prayer, prayer treatment. But as long as this exists, there's always going to be the danger of this powder cake. Like I see, this is a buildup over through the years of the same thing. And every now and then it's going to erupt. People can only take so much and will only take so much. And when they reach a breaking point, then they react. And I don't approve of violence. But it's a reality that's going to exist and wrong. People are continually oppressed and treated unfairly. How do you feel about, uh, on the front page of the paper today, it said that Mr. Bush was going to uh, prosecute the people who had uh, rioted and looted? I, I don't have a lot of faith in Mr. Bush, nor his promises. I really don't. I think he and Ronald Reagan have done more to hurt this country than any other presidents prior to them, even the Confederates. Because there are certain things that they could have done as chief executive of this country. They have hurt instead of helped the situations that exist. I know you won't go, and I don't, we could do, we could talk for a long time, and I, I know you're supposed to pick up your sister. Well, we can get back together when it's convenient for you. Uh, it's just happened it's on Wednesday, um, uh, and this happened because my brother goes to dialysis three times a week, mm -hmm. Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. My son usually takes him. Otherwise, he would yeah. take her out to church. I want, I'll ask you one more question because I feel that you're anxious and you want to and you want to go. Um, I would like to know when you when you came back from the war, 
and uh, that was, uh, when did you get out? I got out in, uh, was it November or December? I got out in 45, either November or December, I've forgotten the switch now. Okay, um, you did use the GI Bill of Rights? Yes. To go to college? Yes. And where did you then go? Oh, that's when I went to Tennessee State. Tennessee State. Mm -hmm. um, let me ask you, what what direct impact do you think do you feel that World War II had on you? On me? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't really. I've never read dwelt on, on on the war. I wasn't in actual combat. I was on the island, but we were at a supply depot. Um, we had a couple of skiers, or maybe a bum in a plane or something like that, but I mean, really, uh, uh, but it had an effect on everybody. First place, it took me away from my family. By that time, I had two children. My mother and dad, my sisters and brothers, and then I took me away from my friends. And even though you're over there with a bunch of guys, that you become close to as a result of being affiliated with them in, in service. Uh, but uh, it. Um, Well, there's, there's still a, a loneliness that hits you when, when you don't see your friends or family for a long time. Uh, there's a feeling of, well, again, I guess loneliness describes your body of um, But you miss those that are near and dear to you. Would you say that maybe uh, the GI Bill allowing you to a college education was a direct or indirect impact of the war. By way of yeah, but otherwise, wouldn't been able to go to school. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't have been able to go. Uh, but saying? I mean, I wouldn't have been able to go to school under the GI Bill. I had never given up the hope of going back and completing my college education. But did this make it easier for you to do it? Oh yes, it, it, uh, it helped tremendously. So you could say that. Yeah. That. Tremendously, yeah. It, it would have been much more difficult than that if the uh, GI Bill hadn't existed. Right. Uh, that could be an impact. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, I. I have no no quarrel with 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 having with having gone to service. None at all. I, I got a GI, uh, uh, GI loan to to buy my buy my house that I lived in before we moved here, and uh, I have no quarrel because I I. Uh, 
Confederacy part of the world, not all of it. You got to see some of the beauty of the islands. Of course, I uh, grew a lot of my poetry while in service. Yes, you are a writer. You uh, wrote for, you, you did write for the St. Louis Argus. I write for the St. Louis Argus now. Now. And uh, you wrote I wrote for the St. Louis American also for years. And you had a radio program. Yeah. Um, all right, how do you feel that the changed? Did it have any change for the black community as a whole? If we can speak in generality or specifics. I, uh, I think the same injustices, prejudices, discriminatory practices that existed before the war are still here. It's evident. You see, this was the first ride we ever had. In 88, I mean 60, 68, there were rides all across the country. Why, uh, Watts was still involved in a very terrible riot here. Why do you suppose St. Louis has uh, so not far, a riot. So far. I don't know. I don't know. I have never really there are a lot of places that haven't had them. I just what it's attributed to I don't know. Maybe it's because because people realize that nothing will really come out of it. Um, in fact, my article this, this week is about open season on citizens. And it means that uh, in the final analysis, If anybody saw those, that videotape, the police should not have been acquitted. The police should not have been acquitted. And if the riot is a result of that acquittal of those four men, Then the cost was dear. The cost of the destruction, fires, the deaths, 50 some deaths, I don't know how many injuries. If this is going to cause this type of result, your indifference your prejudice, your discrimination, your hate, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I don't 
up with trying to get a suntan or something else. But the tragedy is man is learning how to do everything but how to treat his fellow man right. He can go to the moon, he can go to the bottom of the sea, he can go way out in space. Most of the time, he takes those little petty prejudices with him wherever he goes. And I've heard fellows who were in Europe in the armed services say some of, you know, tell about some of the things that happened to them when they went over to London, Italy, France other parts of England, wherever they may have gone. Mm -hmm. Germany. You mean discrimination? Yeah. From the host country or from the... From the Americans, Americans themselves. Yeah. I've heard that too in interviews. Um, did you have any problems on Guam? Not really. We wouldn't anywhere to go, hardly. <laughs> Were you able to date anybody? Oh, no. We, in fact, I didn't... I, I got up into one of the villages once with uh, one of one one of my shipmates, but uh, <coughs> there wasn't any. But you were in Hawaii, also. I well, I went to Hawaii. Yeah, I was at uh, I was at two barracks on Aia and Manana, but uh, on either one of those. I was uh, on work detail, but the day I was supposed to go to Hawaii, to Honolulu, with boy from St. Louis here that I knew, mm -hmm. uh, I was three days off to see it on the way to Guam. So I never did really get to see it, but any of it. Mr. Gannell, I have a question here that um, uh, I had put down there. Where do you see the black community today? And that was before um, Los Angeles. So before what? Before Los Angeles. Where do, where do you see the black community today? Uh, but I suppose, I don't know if you want to en enlarge on anything that you've said already. Okay. I thank you. I see it still striving to to survive. Did you feel that after the Second World War there was a um, like a, a new middle class that hadn't been there before? No, I guess there's always been middle class. So I, uh, no middle class. 
of, of, in the black community? Well, there have always been some people who had been fortunate enough to make it. Uh, I don't see a heck of a lot of difference, really, than I There may be more people who have, well, I think the job market has expanded a little bit for them, but it's still It's still restrictive, quite restrictive. But uh, I think that possibly because, to after World War II, uh, the GI Bill gave a lot of young black men a chance to really complete their education and get a higher education. But we had a young man here who was one of the city's leading black lawyers. He finished elementary, high school, college, and law school under the GI Bill. Well, that's why and became one of the uh, uh, leading black criminal lawyers in the city. And his reputation is almost legend. His name was James Bell. He died a few years ago. And did now about it. Maybe five or six years ago. Well, that's why I was asking about a middle class was able to yeah. emerge. Well, I think it, it, it helped a, a lot of them to get prepared for a specific uh, career that they may have wanted to follow. Mr. Gamel, I don't want to keep you. I know that you're... Well, if you, you, if, you want, if you want to get back with me, just call and let me know when you want. When. Okay. But I, I appreciate uh, when I contacted you, I appreciate your, your readiness to talk to me. And I appreciate what you said. Well, I talk with you further if you want to. All right. Thank you.